Chapter Fifteen of Audrey Craven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Fifteen. Great strength and safety with heaviest charges. Absolute immunity from all risk of blowing open. The combination of a perfect trigger action with a perfect cocking action. Ted Haviland was standing outside the window of a gunsmith's shop in the King's Road, Chelsea reading the enticing legends in which mr webley sets forth the superiority of his wares above those of all other makers it was the second day after he had got audrey's letter in his least hopeful moods he had never expected that blow and when it fell as a bolt from the blue he was stunned and could not realize that he was struck he imagined all kinds of explanations to account for audrey's conduct it was a misunderstanding a sudden freak there was some mystery waiting to be solved someone his cousin nettie probably had spread some story about him which had reached audrey the scandal already spread in the family would have been enough she could hardly have identified its loudly dressed heroine as herself it only remained for him to clear his character anything anything rather than believe in what all healthy youth revolts against the irrevocable the end he had tried three times to see audrey and she was not at home though the third time he had seen her go into the house not two minutes before that instant he had turned away with the stinging mist in his eyes and the blood surging in his brain his thoughts now leaped to the end as blindly as they had shrunk from it before he had no definite idea of shooting himself when he turned into the king's road his one object was to go in any direction rather than home but the shop window with its stacks of rifles and cards displaying mark one revolvers arranged on them like the spokes of a wheel caught his attention he was possessed with the desire to have a revolver of his own no matter for what purpose he had just chosen a mark one and was going into the shop to buy it when he heard his name called in a loud hearty voice ted you bounder stop and his arm was pulled with a grip that drew him backward from the doorstep hardy he knew the voice but it was hard to recognize the man a thick black beard a face that might have been tanned with bark trousers tucked into high boots and tightened with a belt like a horse girth an old norfolk jacket stained with travel and the chase a canvas shirt laced with a red cord and tassels and a plate-like hat of grey felt flapping about his ears made hardy look something like a cowboy or a bandit so singular was the apparition that had plucked ted back from the abyss that the furies and the infernal phantoms vanished into smoke before it it brought with it a breath of atlantic seas and of winds from the far west you young rascal so it's you is it i didn't know you from satan till i saw you turn round after flattening your nose against what's-his-name's plate-glass i wish i were in your shoes do you said ted with a grimace hm, why because your whole expression suggests partridges does it as it happens i was thinking about a revolver potting burglars eh about all the sport you poor devils of cockneys will get on the first look here hardy this is uncanny where did you spring from straight from euston this afternoon from queenstown yesterday morning before that from the other side of the rockies that accounts for your amazing get-up yes and by jove after a year in a log hut on the wrong side of a precipice you're glad to get your feet on london pavement and smell london smells again and look there ted there isn't a lovelier sight on god's earth than a well-dressed englishwoman where are we going 
How about that revolver? Ted had forgotten all about it. Hardy's sane, open-air spirits had infected him so far that he had let himself be dragged at a rapid pace up the King's Road, where their progress attracted considerable attention. As Hardy strode on with his long, swinging legs, he appeared to be scattering the crowd before him. Never mind the thing now. It'll keep. How that girl stares. Does she take us for banditti? Not you, you puppy in that coat and topper. No mistaking you for anything but what you are, the sickly product of an effete civilization. Don't be frightened. You haven't gone off in the least. You're a little pale, but prettier than you were, if anything. I say, you ought to be in the bosom of your family. I haven't got a family. Well, what brings you here of all places in the world? My cousin Audrey Craven. There was no reserve about Hardy. At the name so unexpectedly spoken, the underworld opened again for Ted with all its furies. They walked on for some minutes in silence, then Hardy began again. I called to see her. Of course she was out. Hard lines, wasn't it? Ted forced himself to speak. Oh, yes, beastly hard. You must have met her lately. How is she looking? Oh, remarkably cheerful when I last saw her. When was that? Hardy asked a little anxiously. The day before yesterday. Ah, she got my telegram then. Ted bit his lip. They were too much absorbed, he in his misery, and hardy in his joy for either to be conscious of the other's feeling old boy said hardy as they turned out of the king's road what have you got to do nothing then come and help me to hunt up some diggings how about devon street i don't know but i suppose we can look said ted dismally hardy's spirits were beginning to pall on him i may as well go and look up catherine while i'm about it dear old sis i suppose she'll be out too not she she's too busy for that not too busy to see her old playfellow you bet your boots he was so glad to see everybody again that he was sure everybody must be glad to see him in his rapture at being in london the place he loathed and execrated a year ago he could have embraced the stranger in the street those miles of pavement those towering walls that seemed to make streets of the sky as he looked up all that world of brick and mortar was audrey's world the ground for her feet the scene of all her doings the women that went by wore the fashions she would be wearing now at any moment she herself might turn out of some shop door round some corner a faint hope that he might find her with catherine had led him to devon street but ted's not audrey's were the first hands that touched his and it was not audrey but his little half-sister that gave hardy his first welcome home well sis vincent is it you there was nothing in the words but the glad courtesy of the woman who had been his playfellow in the days when he was a boy and she a tomboy but they went to hardy's heart and dried up his speech they were the first kind words he had heard since he left england catherine put away her work and made him sit in the one comfortable chair the studio afforded mrs rogers was sent for cakes and cream at a moment's notice and the resources of the tiny household were taxed to their utmost to do honour to the returned emigrant even ted forgot his gloom for the time being and took his part in these hospitable rites then came the question of hardy's lodgings mrs rogers was consulted and being unable to name any landlady of greater respectability than herself and her ground floor happening to be to let the rarest thing in the world for her she suggested that the gentleman should try it for a week or two till he could suit himself elsewhere but though i say it as shouldn't when a gentleman comes to me sir he wants to stay my last gentleman, he'd a stayed with me till he was took away in his coffin if I'd a kept him. 
but lord bless you my dear he was that particular i couldn't do with his fads not at fancy prices i couldn't i had to tell him to go for mussy's sake where he'd get his own french cook and his own butler to black his half dozen pyre of boots all at once for him this was the recognized fiction by which mrs rogers accounted for the departure of any of her lodgers lest it should seem to speak badly for her willingness and for the quality of the attendance at number twelve she invariably added not but what i'd work my head off to please any gentleman that is a gentleman and when you've eaten one of my dinners sir you won't want nobody else to cook and do for you no more and though ted had pointed out to her the sinister ambiguity of this formula she had never invented any other the ground floor was seen and after mrs rogers on her part had stipulated for cold lunches three days in the week and not more than one bath in the one day and after katherine on hardy's part had suggested sundry innovations involving the condemnation of all the pictures and ornaments she could lay her hands on a piece of sacrilege which mrs rogers regarded more in sorrow than in anger as indicating a pitiable aberration of intellect the ruins were taken from that date was it chance or necessity or providence that caused ted and hardy to meet at the parting of the ways that waked ted from the dream of self-destruction and lodged hardy under the same roof with katherine haviland his arrangements completed hardy hurried off again to chelsea audrey he thought had expected him by a later train and would be back by six o'clock waiting for him this time the footman met him with a little note from his mistress audrey had never dreamed that vincent could get up to town so quickly she was so sorry she had missed him especially as she had had to go to bed with a feverish cold and a splitting headache she would be delighted to see him if he could call to-morrow afternoon between three and four and she was always very affectionately his he was bitterly disappointed but his disappointment was nothing to his trouble about audrey's illness feverish colds contracted in august often proved fatal but he was not utterly cast down there was still to-morrow he went back to devon street slowly for he felt tired out of all proportion to his muscular exertions that day during the evening which he spent in the haviland studio his depression gave way before the prospect of seeing audrey to-morrow he looked at katherine's pictures gave her a great deal of advice and expressed the utmost astonishment at the progress she had made he considered the witch of atlas particularly fine it was painted four years ago and as a matter of fact i haven't made a bit of progress since but never mind you're quite right it isn't half bad she bent over her picture lovingly brushed away the dust from the canvas and turned it resolutely with its face to the wall she had not looked at it since the day of renunciation her work led hardy on to talk of his and he grew eloquent about the book sport west of the rockies which as he had once told audrey was to make posterity sit up he had the manuscript downstairs in his bag some day he would read them a chapter or two it would give them some idea of wild virgin nature of what a sportsman's life really was the best life perhaps take it all round to be lived on this earth it was to be the pioneer book of its subject hardy was always at his ease with ted and katherine self-restraint was superfluous in their company they knew him too well and liked him in spite of their knowledge they were used to his tempestuous bursts of narrative and would laugh frankly in his face while he joined in the laugh with the greatest enjoyment with him ornamental story-telling was an amusing game in which if you were clever enough to catch him lying you had won and he had lost that was all to-night he lay back in his chair and expanded gloriously 
he told tales of perilous adventure by flood and field by mountain and forest of the wild chase of moose and wapiti among the snows of the rockies of the fierce delight of single-handed combat with grizzly bears the deadliest of their kind of how he hardy had been rolled down a canyon locked in the embrace of a furry fiend that he had stabbed in the throat one second before the fatal hug he told of the melting of the snows in forest rivers of the flood that swept away the lonely traveller's encampment and bore him astride on a log of driftwood five miles amid rack and boulders on its whirling current of deliverance through a pious indian in his canoe which he entered as by a miracle in midstream and without upsetting any of the three he told of long wanderings in the twilight solitudes of canadian forests of dangers from wolves and the wild coyotes half dog half wolf heard nightly howling round the indian campfires and from the intangible malice of the skunk a beautiful but dreadful power to be propitiated with bated breath and muffled footstep he told too of the chipmunks with their sharp twittering bark and he contrived to invest even these tiny creatures with an atmosphere of terror for it is well known that their temper is atrocious and that a colony of them will set upon the unfortunate traveller who happens to offend one and leave nothing of him but his bones and the indigestible portions of his clothing and over all he cast the glamour of his fancy as if it had been the red light of the prairie sunsets in it he appeared transfigured a half-mythical personage heroic if not indeed divine the whole of it had appeared word for word in the pages of the pioneer book ah sis he observed complacently at the end of it that's all copy for sport west of the rockies when that comes out you'll soon see me at the top of the tree why aren't you an artist in words why don't you use the pen instead of the brush he implied that if her ambition had been literary he would have raised her to a position just below him on the highest pinnacle of earthly fame then he passed by a gentle transition to another subject by the by have you two seen much of my cousin audrey the second utterance of the name was too much for ted's overstrained nerves he got up stifled a yawn and held out his hand to hardy i say do you mind if i go to bed now i can't for the life of me keep awake good-night old fellow i'm afraid i've sent you to sleep with my yarns not a bit we'll have some more to-morrow to-morrow what's the matter with the boy kathy he looks seedy oh nothing he's not overstrong perhaps but he's all right what's he doing with himself here painting oh vincent i should like you to see some of his things now he's gone all her pride in her brother was roused perhaps by vincent's boasting she lifted the white linen cloth that covered one of ted's easels and revealed the portrait of audrey she had not guessed the truth if she had she would not have looked at vincent just then the effect she had produced was unmistakable the blood rose to his face in a wave that died suddenly away leaving a yellowish pallor under its sunburn how beautiful he said softly more to himself than katherine he gazed at the portrait as if his eyes would never be satisfied with seeing the pathos in his face gave it a sort of spirituality and katherine noticed his hand trembling as he helped her to cover the picture again it's like her as only genius could make it only genius did he think that only genius had wrought that work of transfiguration in which katherine found it hard to see any likeness to the woman as she knew her now she had read the secret of vincent's hope 
ought she to let him believe a lie did not she ted's sister of all people owe him the truth no vincent's eyes looked as if they wanted sleep before everything sufficient unto the night is the evil thereof and perhaps after all she had been mistaken hardy held out his hand said a short good-night and was gone before she could say more there flashed back on her the memory of audrey's first visit to her she recalled her little self-conscious air of possession in speaking of her cousin she was morally certain that audrey had treated vincent as she had treated ted beware of the woman who kisses you on both cheeks it's too much for friendship and too little for love hardy went out of doors turned on to the embankment and so on to chelsea for the third time that day he wanted to assure himself of audrey's nearness by one more sight of the brown brick shrine that held her the house stood as he had seen it once before asleep in the yellow gaslight shut in from the road by the trees screened from the lamps on the embankment by the storm shutters folded over its windows guarding its secrets well all but two windows on the second floor which were open to the night that was audrey's room he knew little fool ill with a feverish cold and sleeping with open windows for about half an hour he walked up and down on the embankment opposite like a sentry on duty his long shadow blackening and fading as he passed from light to light when he got back to his rooms he felt a sensation that had sometimes come upon him after a long day's hunting a feeling of deadly fatigue and stifling emptiness as if the rest of his body were drained of the blood that choked his heart he opened his travelling bag took out a large silver flask looked at it sighed shuddered slightly poured about two tablespoonfuls of brandy down his throat and then with a gesture of indescribable disgust emptied the remainder out of the window into the yard below he undressed and got into bed quickly turned over on his right side for greater ease and was soon asleep and dreaming of tomorrow. end of chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine